0: Is uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, we remember the beginning of Jesus's final week prior to his crucifixion. Um, uh, on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a on a donkey uh, as a as a humble king. Um, and uh, on Friday, he was forced out of Jerusalem, made to carry his own cross, and finally crucified like a criminal. And then on Sunday, he rose from the dead. It's this week of of great highs and lows and uh, victories and seeming defeat and um, and it, it's just this it's just a beautiful week uh, that we celebrate and typically on Psalm, Palm Sunday I, I'd preach about uh, the Hosannas or the crowds honoring him but today we're going to look at a little different section of, of that account Matthews account of Palm Sunday and um, we're uh, we're gonna why don't we maybe read the story and um of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. We're going to read that. It's from Matthew 21. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you have a phone, pull up your app, look at it there. Um, if you don't have one, it'll be on the screen. If you need a Bible, like you just don't have one, period, we'd love to get you one. Just let me or someone else know after the service. We'll make sure you get one. Um, but this is Matthew's account of, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. It's Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. This is what he writes. He says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, "Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and He will send them right away." This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, "Say to Daughter Zion, See, your King comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey." on a and on a colt the foal of a donkey the disciples went and did as jesus had instructed them they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them and jesus for jesus to sit on a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while the and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road the crowds went ahead of him and those that followed shouting hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest heaven When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Since, since, you know, from before the time man had existed, God has had a plan to care for his needs. We see this evidence as far back as the creation itself. God created the earth and everything in it, including his crowning achievement, his most precious aspect of creation, humankind. Earth was in part created so that man would have food to eat. And the order of the was, God created earth and everything in it, and then he created man and and, and brought him to life. God planned how to provide for man even before man was created. Food was created, then man was created. This is true not only of our physical needs, but our spiritual needs as well. After man was created, his needs didn't catch God off guard, right? It wasn't like God created us and then thought to himself, shoot, he's got to eat, how do I handle this one? (laughs) Or, oh, I know what I'll do, I'll just create some food for him. And likewise, our first sin didn't catch him off guard either. He wasn't like, what? I never considered he'd do that. What was he thinking? Now what am I going to do? God had everything planned ahead of time. God knew exactly what he was going to do. I grew up in a family of planners. I don't know if any of you have. Um, my, My parents, like, my dad would have, like, plans for plans for plans when I was growing up. And I think it just... There's a little bit of of a rebellious nature inside of me. So as I grew up, I I, I somewhat, I think, probably came to resent that. And so I went to the opposite extreme and didn't really do much planning at all. Um, But even now to this day, my parents are retired. Um, They don't have to really plan a whole lot. um, But they know right now where they will be in two years, literally. They travel all over the country in an RV, and they do work projects for a ministry but they could tell you where they're going to be in two years because they are planners. They just are such good planners. I couldn't tell you where I'm going to be this week. Some of you sometimes ask me, can you do coffee? Or you can just I'm like, uh, probably, but I'll have to check my schedule because I have no idea where I'm going to be. God is <laughs> God is much more like my parents than me <laughs> in that respect. He has Everything planned out. nothing catches him off guard or, or by surprise. He has it all figured out. You know, we talk about sin a lot and sometimes we don't define it. I met with some folks who were interested in joining possibly joining the church two weeks ago and we went over how to share our faith and we talked a little bit about sin and I said sometimes we just kind of like share the word sin, but we don't really process what that is. I said, the way I always have learned to describe it is, sin is anything we think, say, or do that puts relational distance between us and God. Sin is anything we think, say, or do that puts some type of relational distance between us and God. It's lying, cheating on a test, gossiping about a friend or an enemy. It's harboring bitterness against someone who has wronged you. It's denying God. It's holding your faith to yourself. It's not working your hardest at your job, your school, or projects around the house. It's being selfish with your possessions. All these things and a thousand more are actions we, we use to intentionally or unintentionally push God away from us. To put relational distance between us and God. There's sin. God de- God's desire is to be near us. To be in close relationship with us. And we know this because in the beginning when God created us, we, we were in perfect relationship with him. Perfect relationship with Him. We walked with Him and we talked with Him. Nothing scared us about Him. Nothing caused us to to be away from one, to be away from Him. And then we sinned. And after we sinned, when God came back into the garden, what does man and woman do? They hide. They hide. Sin broke our relationship with God. But God knew this was going to happen. And because His plan for us was relationship, He had a plan to solve it. He created us for relationship with Himself. And so nothing was going to stop Him from providing the creation, which He loves so much, a way to have relationship with Him again. So He spent the next several thousand years reminding and preparing His people for His plan. Telling them what His plan was going to be. God planned from the very beginning, even before the be- even before the beginning, to provide us a way back to Him. As far back as Genesis 3.15, where God speaks of woman's offspring crushing the head of the serpent, and Deuteronomy 18.15, where God comments, the Lord your God will raise up for you a, s- a prophet like me from among you from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to Him. Or in Isaiah 53, verses 2-6, to where God foretells of the Messiah when He says this, He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him, nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from... "...whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression, was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed." We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Over and over again throughout history. Long before Jesus was ever born, God speaks to the coming of the Messiah, the Savior that would come and rescue God's people. God had planned, even since before the beginning of the world, the solution to our sin problem. And we know this because he tells us as much in Ephesians chapter 1, where he says through Paul, Praise be to, God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. He says in verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Today we remember one of the milestones in the story of God's plan to rectify our wrong. To eliminate the separation we created, but could never repair on our own. Today we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, for the last week before his sacrificial death. Even this was foretold by the prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, which was quoted by Matthew in our text today, in verse 5, he quotes Zechariah, who prophesied this. He says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is the verse that Jesus quotes in verse 5 of our text today. And it comes from the prophet Zechariah, who prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. It's like he's trying to make a point. He's trying to tell us something. He's trying to communicate something. That this wasn't happenstance. It wasn't accident. It wasn't an off-the-cuff kind of thing that God was doing. But it was planned. It was intentional. It was determined. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and many are thrilled. They call him Son of David, which is the known title of the expected Savior that God would send. They lay their cloaks on the ground and they lay palm branches. I'm not quite sure that they look like these, but they were probably a little bigger, but these are symbolic of that. And they lay them on the ground to recognize his authority and his rule and his reign. And they actually state that he comes in the name of the Lord, recognizing the authority that and God's blessing on him. Yet they still weren't able to fully accept who he was. They called him the prophet of of Nazareth, but it didn't matter what the people thought about them, good or bad, because God's plan was not dependent on those people. He was in control and set into motion the provision for our greatest need. It was this day that the plan was set into motion as he took his final descent into Jerusalem on that donkey. Along his 30-year journey, Jesus' 30-year journey, many people tried to discourage him from his calling and his purpose. His family tried to dissuade him from going on. Satan tried to derail him through temptation. The Pharisees tried to confuse him with crafty arguments. And at the end of the week, the mobs, religious leaders, and soldiers and authorities tried to end him through death on a cross. part of the hope of palm sunday and really the entire easter week is that none of that worked. Jesus overcame every single obstacle. He overcame every temptation. He overcame every negative word. And anytime he could have called and at any time he could have called legions of angels to come down and rescue him. Within him he held the power to destroy us all. Yet he never did so. He pushed on and he never gave up. In part, the hope of the message of Palm Sunday is that nothing could obstruct the plan that God had made before anything had ever been created. It was planned and it would follow through to completion. Our God is an unstoppable force. And that should encourage us today. So often, everything in my life in this world seems backwards. Those who follow Christ seem to suffer, while those who want nothing to do with God seem to prosper. The selfish and wealthy appear to get more comfortable, while those who struggle seem to just fall further behind. The guilty go free, while the innocent unjustly pay the price up seems to be down, and down seems to be up. At times, it just seems like everything is misplaced and out of order for me. And I don't—I just there are times where I just don't understand it. And feel it—it it, it, sometimes just, if I'm to be honest, just genuinely feels like God is not in control. I think it's really easy to have happen in our world, in part because the things in this world are just so tangible, and they just feel so real, and we, we are deceived into believing that this is everything that there is, but that's a lie. Injustice, pride, greed, lust, and a thousand other sinful sentiments are heralded as as proper good and the way to be happy and prosperous in this world. And when these untruths take root in our life, becoming our reality, we sense that God is no longer in control. And that his word is no longer reliable. And that he has lost power And consequently is no longer who he claimed to be. And as a result, we lose faith. Palm Sunday is a climactic event in the story of salvation for many, many reasons. Many reasons. But one of those reasons is that through Palm Sunday we find that God is reliable and truthful and that he always, always follows through on his promises. 500 years before Jesus was born, Zechariah prophesied the prophecy that he would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. 500 years before that happened. Do you know what's going to happen in 500 years? I don't. God does. Jesus did just that. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy. Now some of us might say to ourselves, well, I could have done that. I mean, if I knew the Scripture, I could have requested that a donkey be in a certain place at a certain time and then sent two people in and brought it out and rode in on that donkey myself. But I think you're probably very wrong about that. There are a lot of factors in there that you can't account for. If you just think about that. Think about all the people that pass by. How, how are you going to guarantee that that owner doesn't take that donkey to go do some work in a field? Or doesn't take that donkey to go deliver uh, goods to another person on the other side of town? Or how do you know that you're not going to get caught up? Your disciples aren't going to get caught up in traffic? Or you don't know. There's a thousand million factors that went into that donkey being in the right place at the right time that only God could make happen. Jesus wasn't just walking through town and saw a donkey and a colt and said, "Hey there, oh, I remember that scripture. I could fulfill that right now. Go grab that donkey." It wasn't like it, it didn't happen like that. It happened in a way that only God could see see to be able to make happen to fulfill God is above and beyond time and the author of all creation. Therefore he knows all things in all places and during all generations before, during and after they happen. God was in is in our past. He is presently in our past. He is currently in our present and he's already in our future. All at the same time. It's like we can't fully understand him being outside of time, but he is. He knows what's happening with us and to us right now better than we know. And he knows it as clearly as what is going to happen in the future or what has already occurred in the past. And because of this, he knew and planned what was going to happen that first Palm Sunday. And because of that, brothers and sisters, we can trust him today. God had the plan for Jesus to come into Jerusalem on a colt, the full of a donkey, since before the creation of the world. He's been telling the world that throughout all history. He's telling us that today. But the difference for us today than it was for maybe them in times past is that now Jesus is right in front of us. It has already happened. He has made clear to us who He is. It's not that we're looking forward to hope that for Jesus to come and to rescue us. He has He has done that. He is going to come back, yes, but He has already done the work of rescuing for us. And because of that, today, in this moment, in this time, in this generation, we have a choice to make we have to choose who we will believe God to be. Will we recognize Him as the way, the truth, and the life? Or will we deny reality and merely recognize Him as a wise prophet or a nice man? We must choose. There's no halfway. You can't have your foot in one and in the other at the same time. You're all in or you're all out. There's this guy named Nick Walenda. He he's existed a long time. He lived a long time ago, but he was called the King of the Wire. He was the first person to ever walk over the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, which just is crazy and ridiculous to me. But he also went over the Grand Canyon on a tightrope. Um, when Nick Walenda was stepping out onto the wire, staring down into the powerful Niagara Falls or into the depth of the, the Grand Canyon, There was a moment, there was a moment after all the wind speeds had been calculated, the tension on the wire had been adjusted. He decided how he was going to be balanced. He worked with a psychologist to make sure his head was kind of screwed on straight. There was a moment as he was about to step onto that wire when he asked himself, Are you really going to do this? Are you really committed to this? He had to make a choice. For Nicolwenda, there was no going halfway. He was in or he was out. But you didn't get halfway across the Niagara Falls and then say, oh, I kind of changed my mind. You were in or you died. Maybe for a long time, you've been like one of the people in the crowd that first Palm Sunday you've shouted for years about Jesus, you've come to worship services, you read your Bible and supported the church, but on the inside, just like the crowd, you haven't really gotten to know who Jesus is. And you're just wondering, who is this guy? He's a prophet. He's a good man. But it hasn't really gone much beyond that for you, at least in your heart. Maybe you like the idea of a king more than the reality of it. See, because if Jesus is your king, that means he's in charge of you. What he says goes. You don't have a say anymore. He rules your life. You don't get to choose sometimes, and he gets to choose sometimes. He chooses all the time. You're either in, or you're not. But there's no halfway with him either. And re- really, there's—you're gonna pay one way or the other, right? Like, I think sometimes we, we're not all in, like we, we because we want what we want more than what Jesus wants. Like we look at what Jesus wants and we're like, ah, oh, that doesn't really fit with my desires. So I'm gonna choose what I want right now and put him on the side. I don't want to pay the price now to do what he wants. The truth of the matter is you're going to pay the price at some point. You're going to pay it now by doing what Jesus wants. And yeah, I probably have to give up some of your wants, but I promise you, the Scripture promises you that what you get far exceeds what you give up. But if you don't pay in that respect now, you're going to pay later. You're all in, or you're all out, but there's no in between. When we die, there's, there's no reevaluating. And if when we pass on, we don't know Jesus, we are separated from Him forever eternally. That's what we call hell. It's a place where God is just not. Some of us say, yeah, somebody, how they're doing, they say, oh, just, this week has been just like hell. You know what? That is nowhere, their week is nowhere close to what hell is like. Because even in this world, when things get really bad, God is still here. But there, he is nowhere to be found. the choices we pay now in a way or we pay later in a way which we're going to pay our hope for you today our hope for you today is that you will allow God to change your heart that you will open yourself to him so that he can show you who he really is and so that you can cheer and, and, and shout loudly for him Not because it's what everyone else is doing, but because He has changed your life and you are now in relationship with Him in a way you've never experienced before. And it is so good, it is so grand, it is so wonderful that you can't keep it inside. Our hope is that you will be all in with Him. That every bit of your time, talent, and energy will be given to Christ because He is just that worth it. Because he can be trusted. Because he is faithful, and he has proven that time and time again. And and specifically on that first Palm Sunday, he proved it by riding on a donkey. Something he said he would do 500 years before it ever happened. And if he can come through like that, then we know he will come through in regard to eternity as well. What we believe is not a fairy tale. What we believe is reality. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come forward and um, we're going to sing one more song this morning. Um, and a, as we do, maybe um, maybe recently or maybe for your entire life, I don't know, you've been kind of teetering whether or not to go all in. You're just not sure if you want to or can trust, trust him. But maybe today you've heard this truth that like, he prophesied like hundreds of years before and, and he, he, he made plans thousands of years before and they all came true. And so maybe you're just thinking to yourself, maybe I can trust him, maybe I should trust him, maybe his way is better than my way. Maybe it's mo- as real as anything that I can see or touch here. And I just need to take that leap. I just need to take that step and go all in. Or maybe recently, or you, you've done that in the past, but maybe recently you've kind of been going back and forth and you know you have not been living as God has wanted you to live. You're all in, but you've been kind of living as though you're not recently. And there are some things you need to confess. There's some needs, things that you need to offer over to the Lord. If that's you, you're no different than any other believer. God wants you to be encouraged in that, but He also wants you to know that He wants you to get right with Him. He wants you to confess those things so that you can be living by faith again and not by your sight. I don't know where you are today, but I do know this. The story of Easter, the story even of creation itself, reminds us that God wants relationship with us. He doesn't want distance between us and him. He wants to be right there with you. And the story of Easter tells us that it is so important to him that nothing, not even his own life was too much to give. So today my hope is that you will go all in with him and that you will be able to sing and shout and praise with that crowd, Hosanna, Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Or as it might maybe better be translated Praise God and His Messiah. We are saved. Like, He is our Savior. And you won't just say it, but you will really mean it. Because you've gone all in with a God who can be trusted.